0: Father in heaven, you know the tendency of our hearts to drift, you know the ability we have to listen to other voices aside from yours, and so we pray as we look at this passage together, Father, we don't simply want a better understanding of it. Understanding how it works as a passage, we want to hear your voice speaking what it is you are saying to us as a church, to us as individuals, to, to us even as a wider church in this country. Be at work, we pray, uh, for your glory, for our good. Amen. Amen. At a a previous church I knew very well, there was a discussion going on amongst the leadership team of that church. And it was about how to help the church to grow, or or better still, how to stop it declining. Because that had been the previous few years, the previous decade or so. That was what they had experienced. Um, They had come from a tradition of, I guess what I'd call solid, sound Bible teaching, and in years gone by, the Lord had blessed them hugely. There had been huge Sunday school meetings spilling out of the inadequate building. Thankfully, health and safety was a thing that they weren't quite so concerned about at that point, And so they were okay. But, but then in recent years, for various reasons, the church had experienced a long, slow decline. Drop in numbers. With a subsequent long, slow declining confidence, confusion about what to do about it. Maybe it was to do with the leadership vacuum. There was certainly something of that. Maybe it was not realizing that the culture of the city had changed and the old ways of doing things didn't quite work so well anymore. Maybe, as it turns out, it was due to decade-long division and quarrels between key families the heart of the church there seemed to be things that hadn't been dealt with that would later be dealt with maybe even as it later transpired there were personal immorality amongst some of the leaders and yet for whatever it was they were discussing what do we do to stop this decline that's going on how do we look ahead they hadn't stopped praying they hadn't stopped being church There was lots of great stuff going on what priorities ought they focus on first And there were a number of things in the mix, a number of stuff that they were kind of discussing and praying about. Some of them were very keen on outreach, whether leafleting the neighbourhoods around, whether reaching out to a group of um, fruity kids from an estate just a little way away. Some were keen on the leadership team and sort of pursuing blessings at the time, so hooking up with other churches. Maybe from a more charismatic background, each week they were thinking of going on a minibus across town to a, an event that was going on. What can we learn? What can we glean? What can we receive? What can we bring back? And there are various other options and avenues too. Maybe we need some sort of better management. How do we do this? Do we need a better website? Is that going to help things? I don't know what you would have said. How would you advise a, a church like that? Because they asked us what we thought, and we had recently planted at the time, and we had got to know them a bit, and they would actually invited us along to a leadership meeting, they were very kind, um, we were very young, um, they had invited us along in part to build relationship, in part to, for us to listen and to kind of get to know them a bit better, in part to hear what we had to say, and our advice, maybe a little simplistic, was initially at least to refocus on the word of God. To put his word back at the center of their church community. Put the Bible back at the heart of all that was going on. Show people what the Bible says and then show them what it means for their lives. What it means for you as a church. That was what we said. And they did and the Lord was very kind. I take it God, God grows his people. He grows his kingdom as he speaks Again and again and again, you see it in the scriptures. As the people of God meet together, so they meet together around the word of God, under the word of God even, and so he brings life. Not just to become experts at Bible study. Not just to know our scriptures inside out or how passages work. Not just knowing the facts and the answers, but listening to his living word for us. Listening to his voice. He he speaks and worlds are created. He he speaks and life comes. He speaks and lives are transformed. Where it looked hopeless he will bring hope. Where it looked dead, dry, desiccated, he will bring life and fruit. And if you were here last week, you remember the story of Samuel is is this happening at the national scale? Do you remember, we said it was a time of transition in Samuel. The people of God are no longer traveling. They are beginning to settle into the land that God had promised them. They've journeyed. They've been nomadic. They've moved for years and decades. And suddenly they are here. And the big question is, how are they going to thrive as the people of God? And more than that, how are they going to live out his word, live out his law, So that the nations will look in and say wow wow their god is real and true and faithful and good and kind and i would love to know a god like that and we said it was a big question anyway but it's a particular question because we saw the state of the nation was not great at this point not just a time of transition but a real time of threat as well we said Do you remember, we'll see it in a bit, there was corruption at the heart of the priesthood. That will come into sharper focus today. We said there were no kings. We saw the end of the book of Judges, chronologically the previous book. It looks like anarchy, pretty much. And the prophets, we've got prophets and priests and kings. Well, the prophets, that is where our passage for today really comes in. And do you remember as well, we said last week that Samuel is left field. He is surprising. He is unexpected. He is not the way we would do it. He's not the kind of prophet we would expect. He comes from a place we haven't really heard of, a, a family we don't really know. He is a nobody from nowheresville, from a dysfunctional family, from uh, a mum that can't have children, as the kids were hearing. And yet suddenly the Lord opens his mouth again. Suddenly he speaks again. Our passage for this morning is one of those slightly iconic accounts, but I'm not necessarily sure it's one that people always entirely get right. I say this humbly, but it's not primarily a passage about God speaking to children, though I have no doubt he can do that. It's not even primarily about how God calls people into ministry, but of course there are lessons that we can learn. It seems to me that the point of 1 Samuel chapter three is pretty clear and it's pretty clear because if you read it carefully, you see there is a transition from the the start of the story and the end of the story. Maybe you spotted that as Janice read for us. Have a look at how it begins and then how it ends. So how it begins, three verse one. You see, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Then, how does it end? Let's jump in at 319. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's words came to all Israel. See, this is a passage about the word of the Lord. You see the change at a time of barrenness, time of scarcity, a lack of the word of the Lord, through to a time when all of the land know about Samuel and know about the God who speaks through Samuel. This is a chapter about God speaking to his people again. This is how the change begins. This is how life comes to his people again. And before we just jump in and see a couple of ways that works through, two aspects of that, I just want to chew over briefly what it means at various levels, how passages like this help people like us. I wonder if it helps us as a church just more broadly in the West, more than just the folk in this room or this church, but a church that largely has lost confidence in the Word of God. Some of that comes from the challenges thrown down through different types of theological teachers, a trustworthiness about the Word. They've pulled the rug out for some. Can you trust the Bible really? Does it really say that? Is it really authentic? And some, though, have bought the lie that the Bible is irrelevant, That if you want churches to grow, then you need to do other kind of things. You need to sort out your management or your leadership or various techniques and strategies and websites. People won't come if you just teach the scriptures. It's boring. It feels like school. It's dry and dusty and dull and maybe a little less so this side of the Atlantic. But very easily, gimmicks and trends and personalities can take the place of the word of the Lord we buy the lie that it's dusty and dull and people won't enjoy it and it gets relegated and replaced with other things but it seems to me here how do you want a nation to change you want God to speak narrow it down a bit for us specifically as a church us as Mordlem Road we are going through a time of transition we the way we live as a church the way we are perceived as a church will be changing as we have a new home You go and check out some of the designs at the back and feedback for us. But I want to say, please hold us as your leaders to account if it seems like we're not listening to the word of the Lord anymore, if we're not teaching the Bible anymore, if our our attention is getting distracted elsewhere. Pray for us, speak to us. Even in a time of transition, even in a time of settling in years to come, we want to be a church founded upon the word of the Lord. Pray that the decisions that we make about buildings or the kind of church we want to be are wise because they are shaped by the word of God as he speaks. It would be very easy to be overly pragmatic and for our principles to drift. Narrow it down again to us as individuals, and I guess it is the question of what voices are we listening to? We live in a world where voices bombard us from the moment we awake to the moment we go to sleep. And so we must ask the question of ourselves as we go through the passage, have we stopped listening to the word of the Lord? Are we being shaped and molded and encouraged and challenged by God's word? Is he speaking into our lives that he might bring life and change and transformation? Sometimes we stop because life takes over. Sometimes we stop because priorities change. Sometimes we stop because we just drift. And we drift. And we drift away from him and his words. Sometimes we don't want to hear what we've got to say and we stick our heads in the sand because we'd rather crash on as we are, do things our way. But he longs to speak. He longs to bring life like, like spring flowers from a hard soil. He is good and he speaks And just two things to latch onto from the passage as he speaks to his people. Because he's good, firstly, his word comes with grace, verse 2 to 10. And you get this slightly farcical sketch with the child Samuel. Um, Do you remember, Hannah gives Samuel to service of the Lord at Shiloh. Almost he is semi-adopted by Eli. And then three times in the night, he hears these voices. It's worth saying that the tabernacle at Shiloh seems to have been kind of uh, enclosed in some sort of compound. So what was transitional and moved now is in place. It's become a bit more of a permanent and established center of worship, at least for a time. That seems to be what's going on. It feels to me a bit like a porter cabin Do you know what I mean? Where where you think it's kind of just there for a bit, but actually it's there for a while. Pick it up at verse 2, though. We hear these night voices coming. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But he said, I didn't call you. I'll go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. It strikes me that Eli is quite patient, isn't he, that were me, as our kids will tell you, <laughs> there'd be a mix of kind of incoherence and irritation. Why are you up and why are you making, w- waking me up? But he sends him back to bed again and the same thing happens, verse 6, and it happens again, verse 8. And by verse 8, Eli, again, who's speaking as a dad, had probably not been able to get back to sleep, works out that something important is going on. The word of the Lord is rare, verse 1, but maybe this is one of those rare moments. Maybe Eli should have worked it out beforehand. But then Eli realized this was the Lord calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel says, speak. For your servant is listening and i'll say again it's not primarily a passage about how god calls us but we do very clearly see his gracious character three times he speaks persevering patiently three times he he condescends himself opens his mouth to a small boy a most unlikely set of ears And so just pull into the lay-by and remember, our our God is gentle and gracious as he communicates with us. I think we can say there are huge similarities in the way that he perseveres in speaking to a people who, who don't quite know what he's saying. Our inability to listen or learn or respond or believe even. And so he says to us, I love you for who you are in Christ." not through what you do for me, not through how good you are, but simply through Christ, because you are united to him by faith. I love you as my people, he says. And we just can't grasp it, and we keep forgetting. We think, no, 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 I must earn it in some way. I have to make you love me in some way. Or he says, that's not how my people are to live. That does not befit one of my children for you to live like that. And we just don't want to listen to him. And he speaks and he speaks and he speaks and he is patient and he is gentle and he is kind. And he perseveres. I don't know what it is for you, whether there are particular things that you know the Lord is saying to you, but you won't or you can't listen to them, you can't hear him for some reason, you don't want to hear him. I think the scriptures would say, "Don't harden your hearts. Don't keep ignoring." I remember a conversation. Um, I think it was almost 20 years ago. Which was, I was probably about 10 at the now. I was about 20 at the time. It um, <laughs> was with our church leader at the time, and they he described the work of of sermons and Bible teaching, and he said, Do "You know, it's a little bit like he he was a recent dad." Um, he said, it's a little bit like reading books to toddlers. So you're thinking, Gruffalo, Peppa Pig, Doctor's Use, whatever it is, if um, you can have the opportunity and the privilege to read to small people. And you read to them every night for weeks and for months and for years. And you become fluent in them. You both become fluent in them. You can come and ask me various uh, Julia Donaldson books or Doctor's Use books, and I'll be able to tell you pretty much all of them. Um, and you learn them by heart. The repetition means they kind of go into your heart. And maybe it was just me and it was a pointed comment, but he was making a point about us as listeners of God's words. Sometimes he needs to say the same thing again and again and again and again to us before it starts to trickle in and make a difference and before we actually hear what it is he is saying. And it's only after multiple hearings that we really hear what God's saying to us. We can be so slow to hear God is good, and therefore his word comes with grace. He is patient. He is patient for for people like Samuel. He's patient to people like us. But more than that, because he's good, his word comes with justice. And if you like, this is the challenging half. You see, Samuel listens to what the Lord says, he's got his first assignment as a prophet. And it turns out it's not going to be an easy one. Actually, as an initial gig, this is not ideal. And the Lord said to Samuel, "'See, I'm about to do something in Israel "'that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. "'At that time I will carry out against Eli "'everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end, "'for I told him that I would judge his family "'forever because of the sin he knew about.'" His sons uttered blasphemies against God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Do you see the transition is complete now? Up until this point, Samuel had been referred to as a boy. Now he is a prophet. So just have a flick back if you like. End of... Um, last chapter, or even just jump in at 2.11. 2, eleven. then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Or 2.26, now the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and with people. Or 3.1, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord. 3.8, then e- Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy, and then it stops. Because now he's a prophet. And he's not referred to as a boy again. Now he is... Now he is the one speaking the words of God to God's people. And his first assignment is to speak to Eli. And it's a word of justice. It's a word of judgment. Maybe the picture is just as 3 verse 2, Eli's eyes are weak and he can barely see. Maybe he's not just almost physically blind, maybe he's spiritually blind as well. Maybe there's some of that going on. But we touched on it last week. Eli's role as father had not been great. Do you remember 2.12? Eli's sons were scoundrels. You saw that they, they took more of the sacrifices than they were meant to from God's people. So it's written into the law that the priests should be catered for, they should be looked after, they were allowed a portion of the sacrifice for themselves. But then 2 verse 17, the The sins of the young men were very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Eli's sons were taking more than they were allowed. But it's worse than that, 2.22 as well. Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Remember we said last week they were leveraging their power to gain money, or at least food, greed, and sex. And say so 3 verse 13, God says, I told him I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His son's uttered blasphemies against God. It's funny, isn't it? God's patience is not infinite. He, he is slow to anger, but his fuse is not infinitely long. Because he is good, his word comes with justice. It it seems that Eli has been warned about it already, but he's done nothing about it. We don't know why. Maybe Hophni and Phinehas were just uncontrollable. Maybe Eli was conflict averse. Maybe he was too old and frail. Maybe he didn't believe the Lord would follow through. We don't know why, but we do know the result. And the result is, and we'll see it in weeks to come, there's judgment that's been promised and there's judgment that will come upon his family. Because you see, God's goodness demands it. His word is trustworthy. He is faithful. He does what he says he will do. And if he said he will judge, then he has to. Because we can trust his word. He can't simply overlook and ignore sin he won't simply overlook and ignore sin he is patient but a time will come when we pass the point of no return and he will deal with it and that time has come for Eli and for his boys and of course there's a comfort in that for those who are affected by the sins of others For those who cry out for justice who cry out for mercy from the lord but there's a challenge as well for the perpetrators so brothers and sisters hear that comfort and be encouraged the lord sees your suffering at the hands of others he knows what it is like he will one day do something about it you can trust him it's not gone unnoticed they won't get away with it forever And yet, others hear that challenge and be convicted and stop. Turn back to him. It's not gone unnoticed. You won't get away with it forever. And so, Samuel, perhaps unsurprisingly, is anxious about this first message that he needs to bring to his adopted father, to Eli. He is in at the deep end. But he is persuaded nonetheless and so verse 8 samuel answers here i am echoing sorry echoing verse 8 here i am as the lord called him so samuel calls him too and that here i am echoes many prophetic responses from down the pages of scripture here i am send me here i am what was it he said to you Eli asked, don't hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely. If you hide from me anything, he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. There's the hope there, implicitly, of a new priesthood. But there's the hope as well of a New prophet in town. The word of God is back. God has spoken. He is speaking to his people again from the cold, dark, and fruitless winter. So spring arrives. So plants begin to grow. So life is coming to the land again. And so we'll see fruit. And 4 verse 1 And the word of the Lord came. And it's a phrase you'll hear again and again and again through the Old Testament. It'd be very profitable that we haven't got time, but we could dig our way through page by page, and we'd see it coming again and again and again. And finally, the page would turn, and we would reach John chapter 1. And we would read that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And there in Jesus is God's fullest communication with us. God himself takes on flesh and communicates with us by by becoming a person. And as he comes, he brings life. He brings life as it was meant to be lived, the life we were created for, life in relationship with the God who made us. But keep turning pages. And we come to Hebrews 1, and the writer there spells it out for us. Jesus is not just the truest and fullest, but he is the final communication of the Lord. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So do you see, the ancestors and prophets, the people like Samuel... They received authoritative words from the Lord, and they were important and they were life giving, but in one sense, they were just words of promise. Which means, a bit of a health warning as we go through Samuel for the next eight weeks or so, we will feel a sense of frustration and confusion week by week. Hopes will be raised, promises will be made, but we'll see just doesn't quite work. It doesn't seem to quite fit. They're not quite fulfilled. They're fulfilled, but just in part. We won't be satisfied. And we'll be left wanting more. And so Hebrews one says, this word that is Jesus, he is the fulfillment you've been waiting for. He is the completion. He is promises kept. Here, in him, you will find satisfaction. It's the same God speaking, but now he's spoken to us by his son with an authority, finally, perfectly, completely, and everything has changed. And actually, as you may have flicked ahead to Hebrews, but the big point of Hebrews in one sense is that we won't drift from Jesus by stopping listening to him. That's the big idea. We won't be squished and silenced by by pressures from the outside. We won't be duped by other voices. We'll find that his word is enough and we can trust him. And and as we've seen this morning in 1 Samuel 3, so you would see in Hebrews, if you know Hebrews well, or if you want to read it this week, because he is good, his word comes with grace, but because he is good, his word comes with justice. And we mustn't drift from his word. Because drifting from his word is so tempting. It's so easy. As I've been preparing this over the last few weeks, the last few weeks of sabbatical and this last week as well, it's been my prayer that we might be a church, we might be a people who do not drift from his word. That almost seems to be the default of of our hearts, doesn't it? Almost the, the car tires, bald on one side, drifting away. Drifting, drifting. And we need to keep correcting our hearts back to him, back to his voice, back to the word. Whether as a church, corporately, whether as individuals, that we wouldn't close our ears and miss what he is saying. Because we love him, so we're to be a people who love his words. We love to listen to him. And that works its way out in all kinds of areas of life. If you're in home groups this week, maybe have a, have a think through as you study this passage again. But think through what does that mean potentially as, as a family at home? What does that mean in small groups through the midweek? What does that mean as individuals that we might listen each day? What does that mean in a culture where we've got phones the whole time? And we can drift towards those things and away from what he is saying. We drift towards those voices, get an app on it, get an MP3 on it, whatever it might be. How do we get God's word into us? Or as a church, as we gather together, what does it mean that we might be those who listen? Or even just in conversations, I was struck yesterday at a um, conference day that Kitty was involved in up at St Andrews, just the the importance of as we meet each other and as we try and help each other and encourage and challenge each other, a huge bit of that is helping one another to remember what God has said to us in his son, to remember where we fit in the story, to remember the sufficiency of Christ and his grace, to remember who we are in him. Can you imagine being a church where Where words about Christ are never far from our lips as we speak to each other. Because we love him, we love to encourage one another with him. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that in one sense we we don't live in a time where the word of the Lord is rare because you have spoken to us fully and finally and completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we confess afresh how often our hearts are hard, how often our ears are deaf, how little perhaps we hear you or want to hear you, because we have these hearts that drift. And so, Father, we pray for our, ourselves as individuals. We pray that we would long to hear what you say, what you are saying, and that each day we would go to you to listen to what you've said in your Son, and in your word about him. We pray that for us as a church. We pray that we might be a community where your word is not scarce. But we are those who encourage and challenge and remind one another of who we are in Christ, of what you are like, of what you have done for us, of what it means to live for you and to follow you. Father, we dare to pray that as well for churches in this locality, in Oxford and beyond even. That you would freshly convince confused church leaders of the need to, to preach your living word that it might bear fruit in the lives of the people you've entrusted to them. Father, we dare to even pray that that fruit in those lives would impact the wider community. Lord, as we we pray prayers like that, we are reminded perhaps of last week's passage and the way that you, you so often do it through the little people, people who look weak, And left field and surprising. And so we pray that you might give us a confidence, but not a confidence that comes from us in ourselves. But a humble confidence that comes from knowing that you are a good God who loves to use weak people and so to bring glory to yourself. We pray these things in the name of the lord jesus we pray them for his glory not for our own amen